Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to Whitecap Resources' first quarter 2020 results conference call. Note that all lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star then number one on your telephone keypad. And if you decide to would like to withdraw your question, please press star then number two. I would now like to turn it over to Whitecaps President and CEO, Mr. Grant Fagerheim. You may begin your conference. Thank you, Sylvie. Uh, good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us this morning. I'm joined by four members of our senior management team, our CFO, Tom Kang, as well as Darren Dunlop, Vice President of Engineering, Joel Armstrong, Vice President of Production and Operations, and Dave Mombriquette, VP of Business Development. Before we get started today, I would like to remind everybody that all statements made by the company during this call are subject to the same forward-looking disclaimer and advisory that we set forth in our news release issued earlier this morning. Our first quarter results were strong from all aspects of the business. Our team did an excellent job on costs, reducing both capital and operating costs relative to our expectations. Our team kept our assets performing extremely well, with final production numbers coming in even higher than we increased our guidance provided to the market previously and we had um, also closed two transactions and announced a third the first week of April, with the integration of all these going quite smoothly. Our first quarter average production was 95,828 BUE per day on capital program of $119 million, which included drilling 53 gross, 43.9 net wells. Our funds flow of $188 million provided us with $45 million of discretionary funds flow after the $24 million dividend payment. Typically, the first quarter of our most active is our most active, and in Q1 2021 marks only the second time in the company's 11-year history that we generated positive discretionary funds for after-capital spending and dividends in the first quarter, which is a testament to the return characteristics of our company. With spring breakup reducing activity levels, as they always do in the second quarter, we now are expecting to generate over $200 million of discretionary free funds flow in the first half of the year, allowing us to deliver on our targeted $200 million debt repayment to further strengthen our balance sheet. I would like to now pass it on to Joel Armstrong to comment on some of our HSE results so far in 2021. Thanks, Grant. The first quarter was our our most active quarter from an operations standpoint since the larger restrictions and changes from COVID first impacted Western Canada in the spring of last year. COVID remains a significant challenge for our business and the health and safety of our employees, contractors and their families remain a top priority to us. I'm pleased to report a Q1 total recordable injury frequency rate of only 0.41 which is below our historical two-year average, even though total in-person hours increased by 8% relative to Q1 last year. 
With respect to carbon sequestration and emissions reductions from our existing assets, we've made good progress in both in Alberta and Saskatchewan. At Weyburn, we sequestered an additional 2 million tons of CO2 in 2020, bringing our total up to 36 million tons since the project began operations in the year 2000. The pool has the capacity to store an additional 80 million tons of CO2, providing a significant remaining life in the project. The Joffe project in Alberta is much smaller in scale, but since we took over from NAL at the start of this year, we've been able to double our average daily sequestration rate and expect to increase it further over the coming months. This is a good win for our Central Alberta team, especially during a very active Q1 drilling program. Lastly, we're on track to meet our 20% direct emission intensity reduction target from 2019 levels by the year 2023. And we've highlighted several initiatives in our latest corporate presentation. I'll now pass it on to Tom to comment on our financial results. Thanks, Joel. Crude oil prices improved through the quarter, with WTI beginning the quarter in the low 50s and ending around the $60 level, with Q1 averaging just below $58 U.S. per barrel. The Canadian light oil differential also improved through the quarter to average $5.24 U.S. per barrel discount to WTI, with recent differentials in the $4 to $5 range. And finally, the Canadian heavy oil differential averaged approximately $12.50 U.S. per barrel for the quarter, with recent differentials in the $12 to $13 range. For natural gas, ACO averaged just below $3 Canadian per GJ in the quarter, with cold weather in February impacting prices to the upside. Our average realized crude oil price, this would be prior to the impact of hedges and tariffs, was $65.11 per barrel in the first quarter, compared to $47.48 in Q1 of 2020, a 37% increase. Our average realized natural gas price, um, as w- prior to the impact of hedges and tariffs, was $3.34 per MCF in the first quarter, compared to $2.18 in Q1 2020, a 53% increase. Despite higher crude oil prices, a royalty rate of 14.5% was slightly below Q1 2020, primarily due to lower royalties associated with the acquired production and prior period adjustments. Operating expense was $13.36 in the first quarter, a 10% increase from Q1 2020. Our full-year expectation of $13.50 to $14 per BOE is unchanged as the torque assets were acquired carrying higher operating costs and were only incorporated in our results for 35 days in the quarter. Transportation expense in the first quarter was $2.05 per BOE, slightly above the high end of our expected range of $1.75 to $2, and we anticipate our full year to be within this range. DNA expenses came in as expected at a dollar per BOE in the first quarter, and we anticipate maintaining this level for the remainder of the year. We recognized approximately 10 million of one-time transaction costs related to both the NEL and torque combinations in the quarter. Funds flow for the first quarter, uh, as Grant mentioned, was 188 million, which equates to 36 cents per share, generating a total payout ratio of 76% after capital invested and dividends paid to our shareholders. A couple of things I wanted to discuss, discuss a bit further um, as outlined in our MD&A. The first being a facility acquisition for $72 million in a quarter. So this relates to production facilities we sold to a third party in early 2016, 
where we would maintain control of the facilities as operator, but paid an annual tariff or lease payment for the life of the agreement. We also had the option to purchase the facilities at any time, and we exercised that option at the end of March. This now eliminates annual lease payments of $10 million, of which $2 million of the annual payment was previously recognized as interest expense on our income statement, and the remaining $8 million was recognized as part of the financing section on our cash flow statement, both of which now have been eliminated. The second item to point towards is the addition of approximately $2 billion in tax pools from the two combinations that we closed in the quarter. So now we have $5.5 billion in tax pools. At current strip prices, we don't anticipate being cash taxable until at least 2026. Whitecap's net debt on March 31st was $1.45 billion on total capacity of $2 billion. Our debt to EBITDA ratio is 1.8 times and our EBITDA interest ratio was 17.3 times, both well within our debt covenant. As Grant mentioned, uh, we remain committed to allocating $200 million of discretionary funds flow in 2021 towards the balance sheet. I'll now pass it on to Grant for his closing remarks. Thanks, Tom. This is an exciting time for our company with strong operational momentum, which will drive our free funds flow generation for the balance of the year. In addition, the ongoing technical and economic analysis by our new energy team has led us to many different uh, potential opportunities. Whether they are in CCUS, lithium, hydrogen, or other aspects of the energy transition, we are work, uh, hard at work evaluating these decarbonizing opportunities and will update the market as we have more information to share throughout the year. We've been asked by a number of, time, a number of times about the federal government's announcement to exclude the federal tax credit specifically from enhanced oil recovery projects as it relates to CCUS projects and admit that we were disappointed with the government's neglect of the benefits to all the Canadians of these type of projects. However, this does not preclude us from participating in other value-enhancing activities uh, that our current CCUS projects can provide, such as carbon credits and reduce, uh, such as carbon credits and reducing or eliminating the cost of CO2 used at Waverland, Saskatchewan, and Joffrey, Alberta. We've also had the opportunity to work with large emitters through CCUS projects to achieve their own emission reduction targets. We have, have been and will continue to work with the federal and provincial governments on shaping the clean fuel standards and to find ways in which our technical expertise that comes with operating large-scale CCUS projects such as Weyburn uh, can benefit many different stakeholders and Canada achieving its objectives of lowering carbon emissions into the future. Our two projects at Joffrey and Weyburn currently sequester half of the 4 million tons per year of CO2 that is sequestered in Canada, and we intend on being part of the growth in this number in the years to come. With that said, I want to reiterate our priorities, which is to focus on balance sheet strength and continually improve our free funds flow generation to increase return of capital back to our shareholders along with actively participating in the advancing new energy initiatives. Our team is hard at work on these priorities and we look forward to providing you with updates on our progress throughout the year and into 2022. On behalf of our management and board of directors, we'd like to thank you, our shareholders, for your interest and support of WhiteCap. With that, I'll turn the call back over to Sylvie for any questions you might have. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Fagerheim. Ladies and gentlemen, as stated, if you do have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. 
And if you should wish to withdraw your question, simply press star followed by 2. We do ask that if you're using a speakerphone, to please lift your handset before pressing any keys. Please go ahead and press star 1 now if you do have a question. And your first question will be from Jeremy McRae at Raymond James. Please go ahead. Hi, guys. Uh, just on the CCUS, I was just wondering if you could provide a little bit more detail and numbers associated with this plan, especially if one of the comments that you made where you plan you know, to help other industry partners. What kind of business plan are you thinking that this could really turn out to be here over the course of the next you know, five, ten years, just in terms of materiality, I guess? We think it can be quite material, Jeremy, as far as uh, and the question is around uh, carbon capture, utilization, and storage. All projects, uh, existing emitters, are um, currently um, trying to better understand uh, what the credit capacity is going to be created from the federal government as well as the provincial governments in both Alberta and Saskatchewan. And uh, Whether it's on new hydrogen projects that creates even more CO2 or other projects that are existing at this particular time, um, that the path forward is going to be through carbon capture um, um, and therefore can be very substantial. So that, all this is evolving. It's going to take um, a copious amount of capital on a go-forward basis for um, the not just the Canadian um, uh, space uh, specific to oil and gas, but to all industrial users of, of uh, uh, energy. And, and as we move forward with hydrogen or any other particular projects, um, it is going to require the expertise of uh, carbon capture, utilization, and storage. Anything is, else? Is the, yeah, I was going to say, maybe just is, this, is the plan then to just continue to increase your infrastructure to, to do this and then just sell the credits off to other EMPs in the sector then? Is that generally the, the long-term goal, I guess? Um, no, it, no. Uh, what we want to do is participate in all aspects of, of uh, um, the, you know, what we'll call this new energy platform, which is uh, developing hydrogen projects on our own. Um, that it and that will obtain carbon credits for that, as well as on the carbon capture side. What we're looking at is, is how can we best reduce our cost? Because currently we're paying for CO2. How do we reduce our cost? Uh, for the benefit of our shareholders um, and utilize our technology going forward. So it isn't, um, it's multifaceted, and that's where I think um, a lot of people are jumping ahead. This is going to take, this is going to play out over years to come, not over months to come um, as, as we move forward. We're really um, in the informative stage of putting together strategies, as with um, some of the larger producers, as well as the, we'll call the, um, pipelines and, and uh, midstream asset managers as well. But I think this goes not just to Western Canada, this goes to the entire um, uh, country that we, that we live in. And, and um, what we're trying to do is make sure that we capitalize on it on behalf of our shareholders going forward using our technical expertise and experience moving forward. Okay, perfect, thanks, Grant. Thank you. Next question will be from Travis Wood at National Bank. Please go ahead. Yeah, good morning, guys. Um, question is just around the, the operational performance. Um, you had posted some strong numbers on production. So 
If if there was an outlier, uh, you kind of hinted at integration and just kind of overall execution. But was there one particular asset uh, that that stood out to to help drive that beat this quarter, um, or was it kind of a little bit of give and take across both the NAL consolidation, the Torque consolidation, and kind of the the base asset as well? Yeah, Travis, Darren here. Um, you know, it was spread out across several different assets in that, all of them which were, you know, it was it was a significant beat, so all of them were significant in their own. So it wasn't a bunch of little ones, it was a bunch of big ones. Um, you know, I'll, I'll touch base on, I'll sort of walk through some of the most significant ones. You know, our, uh, the Torque first quarter program and the conventional Frobisher, some of the results were exceptional uh, above what we had forecast. Then we walk over to Weyburn, our declines in some of our performance from uh, our last year's rollouts were still performing significantly above expectations. Then we walk over to our Viking program, our Q1 program, while not, although not as robust as other years, you know, added some volumes over and above our type curve. But that being not as robust also dropped. We didn't have as much volumes coming on, so we saw some reduced line pressures, and a lot of that outperformance was on our base production as well in the Viking. Um, and then, uh, to a smaller extent, we had some partial optimization in, of our sturgeon pool that we acquired from NAL, with a lot more to come there. And I guess another th couple things to think about is we've had some exceptional results in, in our Charlie Lake drilling and uh, our, our Montney, Car Montney, that wouldn't have impacted our Q1 numbers, you know, coming on late in Q1 and early in Q2. So. Um, you know, we're, we're 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 rolling along pretty good here. Okay, no, that's great. Appreciate the color there, and uh, that's all for me. Thank you. Next question will be from Jordan McNiven at Tudor Pickering Holt. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks, guys. Just another one here on CCS. Um, you referenced the ability to expand current operations. Sounds like plenty of amenable geology there. Um, are you able to also add a bit of color around, you know, say the av availability of, of uh, CO2 pipe capacity into your facilities and um, maybe an incremental capture capacity that your partners might have? Relative to the Weyburn project, we can uh, this time, uh, Jordan, we've got uh, um, pipeline capacity that we could over double the amount of CO2 that we're capturing at this particular time. Um, and, uh, and that goes with the, the, the specified type of, of pipeline that is going to be used for infrastructure going forward. So at this time, into that, uh, that the Weyburn project, as, as, uh, um, and we've been waiting for what uh, to advance that and more carbon capture into waiting to see what the carbon credit cycle is going to look like through the federal government. So we'll continue to advance that, but we do have, um, you know, at least two times the, the, the capacity to, to increase uh, at Weyburn. And then our Joffrey project, we're continuing to, in Alberta, um, as uh, Joel had referenced earlier, we have uh, capacity to increase that. We've um, almost doubled um, where we were at, uh, where NAL was at at the particular time. So, and then there's other, there's very other, um, various other projects that we're looking at across Western Canada, uh, primarily in, in Saskatchewan and Alberta, that we'll look to advance for uh, you know, the, the benefit of uh, Saskatchewanites and Albertans, as well as all Canadians. So the, the pipeline capacity 
um, today that we have is sufficient for at least two times growth, but it's going to require um, much more capital from um, you know pipeliners, et cetera, mo- moving forward into the future as well. Okay, perfect. Thanks. And, and, and any um, commentary around the, the um, you know the kind of carbon sources? If you were at the sites of capture, is there incremental um, you know ability to capture there? Or do you think you have to enlist some new partners to take care of that side of things? Yeah, just uh, we're under uh, uh, non-disclosure agreements with several parties. Uh, what we're looking at uh, right now, and um, there are several numerous other sources and I, rather than pointing specifically to them what we can talk about is we know that they if we talk about the largest emitters being whether it's on the uh, concrete manufacturers steel manufacturers refiners um, anything in the industrial world uh, going forward that that creates greenhouse gas emissions uh, are considered there's numerous different several lots of different sources um, and uh, you know, they're all looking to reduce their carbon footprint going forward um, that aren't specific to energy companies. That's what's um, most unusual about this, and I think that's the understanding that the federal government's going to have to um, look into and understand further as we move into the future. Perfect. Very helpful. Thanks, guys. Thank you. As a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, if you do have any questions, please press star followed by one on your touchstone phone. And your next question will be from Joseph Schachter at Schachter Energy Research. Please go ahead. Good morning, uh, everyone, and uh, congratulations on a nice quarter given the hedge losses that you had. My first uh, question is on the accounting side for Tan. Um, we saw yesterday the first uh, company um, take uh, a reversal of impairments, Vermilion, and they reversed, um, I think, $663 million, 233 in Alberta, 290 in Saskatchewan. Um, out of their 1.5 uh, billion, uh, 5.6 billion they did a year ago in the quarter, you guys took uh, 2.9 billion in the quarter, 2.8 of it from PP&E. Um, do you see reversing that at some point in the next while? And what are the determinants of, of making that decision uh, to do the reversal of uh, do those impairment charges? Yeah. Hey, Joseph. It's uh, it's Ton here. Yeah. Every quarter, you know, under IFRS. You know, we'll have to look at the indicators of impairment uh, or impairment reversal, and, and we did that in, in the first quarter here. So, you know, things that would be considered um, would be significant changes from, you know, technical revisions from a reserves perspective. Um, we look at, you know, what the benchmark commodity prices have been doing relative to the last forecast. And so um, for the end of the quarter here, we would have compared that against year-end and, saw nothing significant that would have moved, um, hence there was no impairment reversal in the first quarter. You know, as we look forward here, um, you know, if commodity prices continue to uh, improve, which we expect in in the back half of the year here, uh, we'll revisit that impairment test or the impairment reversal and look at it on a a quarterly basis there. So there could be potential for reversals depending on what the strip looks like um, as we move into the back half of 2021 here. Okay. So, so, Joseph, just to, to jump in for one second, you had referenced uh, really quickly uh, the, about the hedging losses, and I want to make sure that, that you fully appreciate and everyone understands that these are not losses. Uh, what they are is opportunity losses, and, and our objective here has always been on um, 
the with our risk management strategy is to protect uh, pricing downside while exposing our production and our shareholders to upside pricing into the future. So we want to make sure that we have enough cash flow to run our business uh, from a capital perspective and pay a dividend on a go-forward basis. So they are uh, all referenced, and some people don't understand that they're um, they're not losses; they're opportunity losses, uh, uh, which we're we're very comfortable with, and and that goes to our caller strategy that we do have uh, on pricing to ensure that we protect the economics of our capital going forward. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point there, Grant. I mean, you know, when we look at the downside protection with the hedge book that that we have right now, even down to forty dollar WTI, um, you know, we're not only able to fund our dividend um, and, and grow our business through our capital program, but we're actually generating uh, $166 million of discretionary funds flow after capital and dividends. And that would be at $40 WTI. So I think that's a very important number as we think about 2022 and, and 2023 as well is you know, designing our hedge book so that it gives us that uh, ability to fully fund ourselves in a, in a very low pricing environment. You know, as as we mentioned, we're we're constructive on the back half of 2021 and, and into 2022 here, but I think we always have to keep in mind that we're trying to protect our, our base business as well. Okay. Uh, last on the accounting side, what's the share count? Are we looking at 632.2 million shares now? That's correct. Yeah, that would be pro forma the the kicking horse transaction. Yep. Okay. Good. And then the last one for me uh, for Grant. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning that uh, the integration is going smoothly. Can you talk about, uh, you know, all of the systems, the accounting systems, the um, G&G systems, the land management systems, uh, all of the integration? And you mentioned that it's going smoothly. Um, you know, was everybody on a similar platform so that would made it easy, or is it just the transfer is going easy? And then the second part of that would be, the manpower, uh, where was the manpower at Whitecap prior to uh, the first NAL deal? Where is your manpower now, and uh, are you at a, a complement which will be stable, or is there going to be attrition uh, going forward? Joseph, I'm, I'm going to, I've got our Dave Marbuquette here who runs, um, um, is responsible for our uh, information technology systems, and I'll let him talk to integration. On the people side, that's gone very smoothly. We're fortunate enough to um, we were prior to the two transactions and the third transaction now with uh, Kicking Horse, we had 165 people in the organization, and now we have 245 uh, individuals in the organization. And that is um, uh, a combination of white cap as well as a few uh, individuals from NAL, um, a, a fair amount of people from Torque, uh, um, and then in... Um, from industry, we've added about six people as well from from industry at this particular time. So we think this is a uh, fitting well fits well into our GNA. And this is, I'm I'm only talking in the office when I when I talk about the responsibilities of our our personnel. We have about um, in total about 450 people in the field that are either on full time or contract as well. So under uh, um, we're we're responsible for ultimately about 700, 650 to 700 people, um, livelihoods at this particular time. Um, and again, we're all we're able to do that within the confines of our, our G&A structure that we currently have. I'm going to ask uh, Dave Montbriquette to talk a little bit about on the integration of our uh, systems. Thanks, Joe. 
Yeah, thanks, Grant. Um, yeah, for sure, as you mentioned, I, I think one of the aspects that made the uh, transition relatively somewhat more straightforward for us was there was a lot of commonality in our systems. Fortunately, the counting system being the main one on, on both sides, but uh, we also, um, also this is, you know, we've done more than 10 transactions of a large nature, most of those corporates before these ones, so we're, we're very familiar with the process of integrating companies in, and uh, we have the same, for the, for the most part, of the same core IT team has done all of those transactions, so they were ready to go with the first one with NAL and planned it all out, and, uh, and, uh, and have done a great job, and I think that shows in our ability to, uh, to do our, our first quarter financials, which wouldn't be possible if we hadn't integrated all the data systems in as we go. And, uh, you know, just given the opportunity, I'd also like to, uh, to say that the NAL people that we used on a contract basis uh, who worked in the IT department over there did a great job. That was the, the larger one and more challenging to integrate, but with those guys uh, working with our IT team, it uh, definitely made it a lot smoother. And so I just wanted to give a, a little shout out to those guys, so thanks. And just a little follow-up, with the 245 people, do you have enough space to bring everybody in post uh, the pandemic, or are you going to need to uh, find uh, new accommodation going forward? No, we have, uh, you know, with the transactions, we have ample space available to us. And, and Joseph, if you're interested in leasing some of it, you can just give me a call after the fact. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Next question will be from Aaron Bilkowski at TD. Please go ahead. Thanks for taking my question. Um, so my question is on volumes and guidance. Your volumes are tracking strongly relative to your guidance, and CapEx is trending, call it modestly lower. You made it clear that you would not you would exercise restraint in um, CapEx if commodity prices trended higher. But if you can achieve your volume guidance by spending less, would you consider spending less than your guidance? Yeah, it's it's Ton here, Aaron. I mean, I mean, good question. Look, I think you know our production here. Um, you know, we'll have the highest peak production in, in the second quarter here. And as Darren had mentioned, um, definitely from an operational perspective, we're trending on track to being able to uh, meet our guidance, if not exceed it, um, exceed the guidance numbers there. Um, you know, we're our, our plan here is to stick with that. You know, that mid case there from from a capital perspective. Um, you know, initially when you look at the fourth quarter prior to the kicking horse transaction, we were only spending somewhere in that neighborhood of 35 to, to $40 million. And now with the transaction, once it closes, um, you know, we're going to almost double that. So additional $30 million that we'll spend in the fourth quarter there. So from a, a capital increase, um, you know, through the transaction, the kicking horse, I would say that um, the 65 to $70 million in the fourth quarter is, is what we've laid out. We don't anticipate to increase that. And if we can uh, reduce our capital with the same amount of production, um, that, that's, some, that's certainly something that we would um, look to do is to improve our free cash flow profile. Thanks. Any further questions, sir? Next question will be from Chris Farco at Calgary Herald. Please go ahead. Hi, this is a question for Grant. I think uh, you, uh, this was partially addressed, but I'm wondering if you can just talk about the fact that we're sitting here with oil at $65 a barrel. Uh, what scenario or what point would you consider increasing your capital program as, as these commodity prices rise? Yeah, thanks, Chris. I mean, what, what we'll look at is, uh, as Tom was just alluding to, 
you know, we're going to go through the second quarter here. Uh, we'll have our uh, what we anticipate to be peak production um, in the second quarter. Uh, as we evaluate going into the uh, back half of the year, our objective here is to maybe we um, uh, look at what, what is the best avenue for us to get the best return characteristics on our capital going forward. So, you know, with oil trading at $65 in the near term, uh, right now we're still using $60 and $250 gas. Gas is also trading at $275 at this particular time. But it allows us the options to continue to review our projects internally as to what's the best use of that capital after we um, uh, strengthen our balance sheet by $200 million. So um, we think that there's trending forward. Quite frankly, we think that oil could um, you know, even get be stronger into the future um, back half of 2021 and 22. Uh, a lot of this is going to play out with uh, what the demand cycle looks like um, as we advance through this uh, um, very challenging COVID environment we've been living through, and especially us in Canada that have not been able to get the vaccines uh, into people's arms as, as, as a result of our uh, federal policy. So what we're looking at is um, whether it's 65 um, and it, if it stays there for an extended period of time, the night that what we're interested in, most interested in right now, as the market stays in backwardation, um, and that means that the out months are trading below or the, what the forward uh, time period is or the forward months are. Um, it, we, we always have to look at that as um, a, a good opportunity for investing and, and the best returns going forward. So um, right now we'll remain very disciplined and we're trying to ensure that we're very disciplined in our approach uh, as Tana had uh, talked about and uh, we'll see how things play out over here or as, we, as we move through the second quarter and, and report on our second quarter in August. Yeah, I think the only thing that I would add to that, that Chris, is that you know our priority, if you to rank it, would be um, you know balance sheet strength, return of capital to our shareholders, and and I think growth from an organic perspective um, would would be third. So you know our focus in the back half of the year here, if commodity prices um, you know maintained or even better at than the $65 level here, is to uh, return more to our to our shareholders. Uh, just to follow up on that, then, do you see a scenario next year where that those priorities might change at all, that you'd be looking at spending at more and maybe looking at more organic growth, or do you think you would still remain in that sort of priority tier? Yeah, I think, uh, Chris, n- next year, I mean, what we have to, what we're playing forward on, too, is this other, as we referenced as part of the call, into the new energy initiatives that are underway. So we wanted to make sure that we have a, a very strong um, balance sheet going forward. Uh, we will. Our objective here long term is to grow our, our production per share by 3 to 8% per year organically and supported with acquisition activity, strengthening uh, um, our dividend as we move forward, and always with the backdrop of a strong balance sheet. So the optionality is critical for the free funds flow. And we believe that going forward, how we spend that, we're going to be assessed on a continual basis as to what we do with that free funds flow. So next year, our objective here is, again, to grow, you know, in, in essence, um, uh, between 3 to 8% per share organically, um, spending as little capital as we can to do that um, and take the free cash flow and either, you know, continue to reduce debt, uh, increase our dividend, or into other opportunities, whether it be on the acquisition side, increase capital, or into the new 
energy initiative that we're that we're working forward on. Just one final question. Uh, last year, I believe you set an emissions target to reduce your direct emissions intensity by 20% by 2023. Um, are you looking at changing that at all, given the environment and given uh, some of the federal policies and provincial policies being put in place? Um, no, we're, we're still on the – when we look at what we've done to date, um, you know, since 2017, we've reduced our emissions by 37%. So our objective here was to – uh, reduce that by an incremental 20%, and we're well on our way to do that. Um, and it's we're working in real time right now, so whether it's 14 or 15 or 16%, um, uh, right now we're, we're always looking to advance that forward, regardless of what um, the emission uh, um, standards, the uh, we set our own emission standards at objectives going forward, but regardless of, of federal policy or or provincial policy where we believe that decarbonization is underway and we're going to play uh, a very significant role in that uh, going forward. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. At this time, gentlemen, we have no other questions. Please proceed. Okay, thanks very much, Sylvie, and, and thanks everyone for on the call. As we conclude this quarterly earnings call, I would like to thank uh, each of you for your continued interest in WhiteCap. Um, I want to be clear that we will remain a fossil fuel growth and dividend company, um, however actively participating in low-carbon opportunities as we move forward. The future, we believe, is looking much brighter for energy than it has for a long period of time, and we're excited about what we can deliver into the future on behalf of our shareholders. Thank you. Hopefully everyone stays healthy and safe. Have a good day. Bye for now. Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, this does indeed conclude your conference call for today. Once again, thank you for attending. And at this time, we do ask that you please disconnect your lines. What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its opera ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.